0: Luke chapter 2 this morning. If you'll turn in there in your Bibles, we'll finish Luke 2. My notes, and we will be in verse 21 is where we'll start. Notes pulled up. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. We don't normally read this part for Christmas. Of course, we don't normally have service on a Christmas day. I mean, it's kind of special. I kind of think this is awesome and a great way to, to start. Our, oh, here we go. I have an app where everybody, Anna, stop it. I have an app where the everybody talks to each other on the worship team, and now it is going off because they're talking to each other. So I have to silence it. You don't care, but it will matter. Okay. there. My fault. All right. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we celebrate your birth. We celebrate your mission, uh, what you came to do. And as JC alluded to that in his prayer, that you came to make a way for us. You blazed the trail from heaven to earth, and you're here um, to bring us home. Uh, and we thank you for this rescue mission. We thank you for, you, for your, you leaving that abode, that beautiful place with your father, and coming voluntarily to come save us and rescue us. And we'll focus on that today. In Jesus' name, amen. That is the thrust of today's message as we begin in verse 21. Jesus has been born. Um, He is back home. Uh, It's been eight days, and they're going to the temple to do the circumcision, which is a, a part of the law. And so that's where we pick up our story. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, we know that the angel gave Mary that information. I want you to call him Jesus. And we knew the same thing happened for Zacharias and Elizabeth when John was born. You're going to call him John. Of course, there was a debate, you know, amongst some of the religious rulers. Nobody's called John in your family. How can can you call him John? You know, that's what his name's going to be, because that's what God said his name's going to be. Now, this is unusual, and and, and we don't, you know, we don't follow that culture so much. Sometimes we'll have a junior or, or a you know, John Carl the second or something like that. Um, um, but for the most part, we give each other individual names, new names. Um, we've researched it. That's kind of the fun. It gives you something to do for nine months, figure out what you're going to call this baby. Um, but we do it a little differently. Um, when we die, when we go to heaven, uh, the book of Revelation tells us that we're going to have a new name every one of us will have a new name, and it'll be written on a white stone, and we don't know what that name is, um, but it will be revealed to us when we get there. Um, For these two men, John and Jesus, God said, no, these are the names they have to carry their entire lives. We don't need to change their names. There is no further naming that needs to take place. They get the original, and they kept their names for that matter. But for us, we get new names. Um, What we see here as as they go to the temple to have this circumcision take place, um, they've got two parents. Jesus has two parents that are very obedient to God. Um, they love the Lord. They always have, and uh, they're willing and open to what God has for them in their lives. And this, this just shows it. It's further proof um, that they're obedient parents and they're going to raise this child as God wants them to raise this child. And so they take him um, on the eighth day, like they're supposed to, um, to get the boy circumcised, just like the law says, and already we see here something take place. And I alluded to that in my prayer, that Jesus came with a mission. He came to save us. There's a purpose for him being born. It isn't just the babe in the manger. It's what he grows up to be, what he grows up to do. Um, and so he begins to here in this first section is to identify with sinners. This is the first time we see this, him identifying with sinners. The only reason for circumcision is to identify that all men and women need to have the flesh removed. They need to have that done. And so although Jesus doesn't have sin, he identifies with the sinners already at his birth. And it's because of his parents' obedience, their obedience to the law. Jesus is going to fulfill the law from birth all the way through to his death because of his parents. He can't get here on his own. He can't do this on his own, his parents had to take him there, obviously, and it was because of his obedient parents that the kids were that Jesus was going to be raised and fulfill the law. They had a part to play in that. You can imagine the prayer that was offered up for nine months by Joseph and Mary we don't know how to raise we know how to raise a kid I mean we don't, but we'll figure it out like everybody else in the world has, but to raise the Son of God is it different? Is it going to be harder is it going to be no I just want you. To raise him like you would your own son. And they do. And they take him to temple. And they take him to get the circumcision done. Just like they didn't debate. Now he doesn't have sin. Do we, do we need to do this circumcision? Look, Mary, we're not going to ask those questions our whole lives. We're going to just walk this walk like we would. And we're going to take him to the temple and do this. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 15 through 17. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Here's the first time God indicates to the nation of Israel that the circumcision is going to be for a purpose, it's symbolic of the removing of the filth of the flesh. You've got to discard that flesh, okay? This will carry on through this whole rest of the chapter. In Colossians chapter 2, New Testament, verses 11 through 15, in Jesus, in him, Paul says, you were also circumcised by the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith, in, work, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them." We are circumcised in Christ. We are saved in Christ. He does everything we're supposed to do. He lives the perfect life. And it started here with obedient parents doing the circumcision like they should. Verse 22, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In that section of the law, there are two sacrifices that can be made, the rich man's sacrifice and the poor man's sacrifice. This is the poor man's sacrifice. Again, highlighting Jesus' poverty when he was born, the poverty of his family. At this time, the kings had not shown up from the east. They had not given him their gifts, and so they are not set for Egypt at this point. Um, But so far, this is the poverty that that Jesus carries with him. The prophecy or the the law writing uh, being put down for this event, every male who opens the womb shall be holy to the Lord, has always been, before Christ, symbolic of when Jesus would come. The firstborn of God, the only begotten Son of the Father. Everything that people would do in the temple for this sacrifice, for this ceremony, was to foreshadow the coming of Jesus. Of course, it's all taken care of. He fulfills that here. He makes this. He again identifies with sinners here. The purification according to the law. There is no purification needed for Jesus. And yet he needed to go through that as well. It was Mary's purification, but in the uh, Hebrew it says their purification, not her purification, indicating that he would have to go through it as well before he could show up for dedication. So it was a time period that they waited in order for this to take place. But they did according to the law. There are several cross-references for this that I want to go through. I wanted it to be a Scripture-dense teaching today. I think that's important. We don't want to get light on Scripture, especially on today. Because we need to know it's not from J.D.'s mind or his opinion or his thoughts. It comes from God's word. It's something we can stand upon. Everything we believe is for him. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 begins with this serpent. The serpent follows the line of Christ all the way through to the end. I want you to pay attention to this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. serpent shows up at the very beginning and is the deceptor. He's the deceiver. He's the one that tricked them into going away from God's will and following his own will. And every human being goes through this. We don't necessarily have a tree in front of us. We have the opportunity to either obey Satan or we obey God. And those are the only two voices we hear. We either do what he says, God says, or we do what Satan says. And we can see here the serpent shows up. Now, what does that have to do with what we read? Well, there's a a lot of cross-references as we build through this. That's when the serpent first shows up in Exodus. Chapter 7, 8 through 10, Moses is going to be leading the people of Israel out, but he's not so sure he should go. God convinces him by giving him some things he can do to show miracles to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but Moses will lead the children of Israel out with a rod that could become a serpent at any time. It's the same rod he holds over the Red Sea that parts it for them, it's the same rod that's going to give them direction, it's going to show them the way, it's leading them. Okay? In Numbers chapter 21, verses 7 through 9, the nation of Israel is now following Moses with his staff that can be turned into a serpent at any time. They're following the pillar of fire and smoke, but they're in rebellion against God while they're walking with him. Therefore, the people came to Moses because what's taken place is God has sent a curse. Does anybody know what the curse is that goes through the camp? It's the serpent's. In their rebellion, the serpent begins to bite the people, and they begin to die a slow, agonizing death from the bite of the serpent, which represents Satan, which represents sin. And so they come to God for a solution, and they come to Moses. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. Save us. Take the serpent away. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole And it shall be that everyone who is bitten and who, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, if he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Beautiful picture of what would happen later on in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Jesus says to them, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so must the son of man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life how will that work 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 now all things are of god who has reconciled us to himself through jesus christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation now Then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see the connection from Genesis all the way through to this beautiful celebration we're having today. The serpent has followed mankind, has plagued us. Sin has always been there Jesus, from his birth, identifying with us as sinners, although not a sinner, placing himself in the path, placing himself in harm's way, taking the bullet, if you will, placing himself on the cross, making himself the serpent, making himself the sin, allowing himself to be crucified. He came with a mission, and he came to save us. This child is not just a miraculous birth, not just a miracle worker of a prophet or a prophet, but he's God, come in the flesh to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, sweet old guy. <laughs> and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is, this is Old Testament Holy Spirit stuff. Think all oh, the New Testament, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, that's where... No, there were certain men and women throughout the Old Testament that were anointed with the Holy Spirit, given that gift, poured out upon now, the beauty of it was when Jesus came, he would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh, not just the few. But here's one of the few in the Old Testament. I know it's new, but you understand it's pre, pre-cross. So he's Old Testament. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that's a capital C because it's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been, had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen and the glory of your people Israel. What a wonderful moment for him. As he was obedient by the Holy Spirit. To listen. You're going to see the Christ. You're going to see him before you die. Waiting at the temple. Knowing that I'm going I'm to meet him there. I'm going to meet him at the temple. And because Mary and Joseph were obedient. This divine appointment's taking place. They carry Jesus to Simeon. I don't know if we understand, like J.C. prayed, how important our role is. We are a lot like Mary and Joseph. Yeah, we're sinners saved by grace, but we carry with us Christ wherever we go. And oftentimes, that is the divine appointment that people first meet Jesus is through us. We bring him to them. We talk about him. We share the gospel. This moment right here might be one of them. Maybe you were brought here this morning by a believer, and you're not a believer. This is the first time you've encountered Christ and you feel it in your heart and you know it's real and there's a tugging that's taking place. Like Simeon, you can obey and listen and receive everything he has for you. It's a beautiful thing Simeon sees. The part in peace. I can rest. I've seen the salvation. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph as they see this taking place? There's more confirmation for them. Not that they needed it, but every step of the way, yes, it's real. Yes it's him. Yes it's right and I'm giving you confirmation from people that don't even know you. Shepherds, soon kings. But right now it's Simeon and soon Anna that we're about to read about. Beautiful. Um the Gentiles being saved, this is kind of unheard of. It's one thing to talk about the Christ as being Israel's Christ, the savior, you know, they all know that and expect that hosanna, save now, save the nation of Israel from Gentiles, from Rome, from all those. And he's like, no, it's a much bigger mission. It's not just Israel. It's for the whole world. In Isaiah 42, verses five through seven, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth, that which comes from, from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It's throughout the Old Testament. It's throughout the Torah. It's throughout the Jewish Bible. The Messiah would not only be for Israel, but for the Gentiles as well. Beautiful. In Isaiah forty nine six, indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve ones of Israel. That's a small task. I've got a much bigger mission for you. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's all the way till this morning. If you're not a believer this morning in Jesus Christ and you celebrate Christmas because it's the 25th, but for no other reason. And he's not your Lord and Savior. I pray that this morning you'd make him your Lord and Savior. That you'd surrender your life to him. That you believe on him for your salvation. That you'd let him be sin for you. That you would let him take all of your sin and let that be on his cross. Let that be on his shoulders. Let him take that burden from you. Let him pay that price. And Be free from your guilt and shame and be saved and have an eternity with God. Verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things, I imagine, which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's a private little thing for her before it was Mary and Joseph, but he looks right at Mary and he says, this is going to be harder than you can imagine. It's going to pierce through you, but there's a purpose for it. And I'm so thankful God gives Mary the reason. It's not useless. It's not a failure. And no, the mission was not a disaster when he goes to the cross, which you're going to witness, Mary. It's for a purpose. He will discern the hearts of many men. His life is going to be that way. He will divide wherever he goes. People will either hate him or they will love him. They'll either think he's insane or that he's the Messiah. He's a liar or he is the truth and the way. And no other way to get to God. Verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. She wants to tell everybody, but she can only tell those that are looking for the redemption. I found him. She's walking through the temple and she hears Simeon pro- pronouncing this blessing over this little baby. And she says, this is him. And she gets to be a partaker of that. She's been waiting for this moment as well. And her job is now to carry that wherever she goes, that message. And she tells as many people as will listen to her. Now, for a lot of people, as we see Mary receiving um these confirmation in Joseph also from Anna and from uh, Simeon and from the uh, shepherds and soon the kings and from angels. I mean, that's a pretty big one too. No matter how many people they try to explain this to and no matter how many times they try to tell this wonderful story, it's hard for people to receive her faith and their faith. And I only bring that up because it's hard for people to understand what you're going through with God what God is taking you through, the path that you're on, the confirmations that have come into your life, the things you prayed about and have been answered by God, and only he knew. Not very many people are going to understand your walk. You can tell them, you can proclaim them, and that is your testimony, and you should, for sure. But don't be discouraged when people say, hmm, oh, that's nice. No, you don't understand how great it is, and you try to elaborate and tell them the story again. Don't you understand what happened? Yes, yes, amazing and you get that sense it's falling flat, it's okay. You're in good company. Imagine Mary and Joseph. We couldn't get in the inn, couldn't get in a hotel, so we got to go to a stable, you know. Amazing. Not amazing. Bad luck. Horrible situation. Didn't Joseph have any money? You know how people are. Yeah, no, but after the baby was born, all these shepherds came. And they began to tell us that the angels told them in the field to find the Messiah, just like He found them here. So it was the reason we were in the stable, so that the shepherds, it was all part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. Had they been drinking or something? Was there something wrong with these guys? I mean, with strange men. I mean, were you scared? And they get off topic. No, we weren't scared. It was confirmation to us. Oh, I don't know. I'd be pretty scared if a bunch of shepherds just going over their head. Or when you come and you dedicate the baby and Simeon. Oh, Simeon, he's been, he's been shouting at those steps. Did he bother you on the way when you were trying to dedicate Jesus? No, it wasn't a bother at all. He lifted up our child and said, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Yeah, oh, crazy old guy. It just goes over their head. Guys, you're not alone. But what you're experiencing with Jesus Christ and what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life is real. It's genuine. And he'll give you confirmation. And you know what's beautiful about this for me? This is private, and it's very personal. And if I'm the only one that gets it and understands it, I'm okay. I want people to feel it. I want them, but they need to have their moments with God on their own. They can't live off mine. My kids can't live off mine. I can tell my kids all about how it was with God before they were born. And that's nice, Dad. But they need to experience it as well. And so do you this morning. And I promise you, you will. When you surrender your life to Jesus by faith, he will begin to take you on a walk that you didn't even realize the path he had for you. It will be taking turns you didn't expect. It will take you uphills and downhills. You may end up in Africa. Haisley's back for a month. You have no idea what happens when you surrender over to God. You know, the places he'll take you. So although this is nice, it's important to keep this in mind. Mary holds these things in her heart. These are for her. The stories are great. It's exciting. You want to tell it? We love it. But the only reason we love it is because we've lived it. We've experienced it because we're born again believers. The rest of the world reads these stories and they're like, hmm. But a born again believer is like, no way. No way. It's so beautiful that God confirms. Verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city Nazareth and the child grew and became strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. We believe that is where you should insert after this right in this area here the three kings because they come to the house where the young child is. That's where they give their gifts. It takes them that long to get there. So they miss him at Bethlehem and they go on through and we think this is it. We're not sure. Anyway, they performed all the law. So now we've got the baby born in Bethlehem like they should. They've got, the, they've got the, um, the baby being raised in Nazareth like the prophecy said. All the prophecies are coming together. It's all falling into place. And uh, Mary and Joseph are they're ecstatic. I mean, it's happening just like they'd hoped. Um, it's all falling into place. Verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem. This is later on. He's 12 now. Fast forward. We don't know what happens between dedication and 12. A lot of speculation. But we know this, that he grew. He grew in wisdom and he grew in grace. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So, if you don't understand how, this is like the original Home Alone story, okay? If you like that movie, but this is far better. (laughs) This wasn't forgetfulness. They're good parents. But you traveled in a group back then. You don't walk by yourself, you know, to Jerusalem. You go, the whole gang goes. It's a lot safer. It's a big. You know, uh, numbers. There's strength in numbers, and so they've got friends. They've got family. The kids are all playing. You know, who knows if John the Baptist is in the crew? You know, I know he's in the desert until you know he gets revealed. But who knows? Maybe he made his trip to Jerusalem with him too. Crazy John's in the back, you know, and Jesus and John are hanging out talking. he's with he's with Auntie So and So. He's probably with Zacharias. He's over there with John. They just assumed he was with them. You know, just being a twelve year old kid running around. Well, they walk for a day, and they realize he's not here. You know? We lost God. Hey, whoops, Jesus is, Jesus is missing. Um, <laughs> now, this is I like this, not because I was hoping Mary and Joseph would fail. They didn't fail, but the way they respond to when they find Jesus here, which we're going to read in a minute, is very human. And it's very parenty, you know, Um, it's very mom and daddy. It's like, I know you were safe. I know you were fine, but I was worried and I had anxiety and you did this to me. Mary says, why did you do this to us? You know, And Jesus is like, I've never done anything to anybody. You know, he doesn't say that, but they, they needed constant reassurance. They needed constant connection with God. They needed constant reminders and they're going to get one here. I don't know how long it's been since Jesus did something, you know? We don't know what his childhood was like. I mean, was the fridge always, no fridge, but you get it. Was it always full? Was there always enough for dinner, you know? What kind of things was he doing as a kid with those kind of abilities and, and, you know, as a Messiah? He's always right. He was never wrong, you know? Now, they know that, and for 12 years, he's always been right, and he's never been wrong. And what we've read so far is he's grown uh, in grace in God and wisdom, and he's filled with the Spirit, and they know all that about him, and yet when they lose him, they're more worried about what they've done. That's where this comes from. So all you kids in the crowd, when your parents get upset, when we get upset sometimes, and you're like, I didn't do anything wrong, I was just over here. And you can see our faces sometimes, we're worried about ourselves, is what it is a lot of times. A lot of times we're just, what did, what did I do wrong? Or how did I make that mistake? Or did I lose track of them or whatever? Keep that in mind this morning. It's not always you. Sometimes it's our, it's our anxiety. It's our worry. It's about a day's journey. And so they sought him and they couldn't find him. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. That, can you imagine that? He's somewhere in the city. That narrows it down. And it's been the feast, you know. And everybody's there from all over the region. It couldn't be more crowded. So they looked and they looked. So it was after three days. Anybody ever read that? Three days looking for your kid. Every parent in this room just swallowed hard and about... uh, can you imagine? I lose my kid for three minutes in Walmart. I'm like, oh, he's got his head shaved. He's in the bathroom, and they're taking him out the front door. You know, oh, my goodness. Three days in a major city, gone. You can imagine where they are and where they end up. Now, here's the thing. Where does Jesus been the whole time, those of you who know the story? In the temple. Where's the last place they look? Of course, that's where he is, but it wasn't the first place they looked, was it? Guys, I just want to encourage you. It's a side note. That's probably not anything to make a big deal out of. Please go to prayer first. Go to prayer first when you come into problems in your life. I don't care if you go find results and you want to fix and get solutions and all that. I don't care. Dumb story. We have stock tank issues at our house. I do, anyway. And I bought every floating heater you can buy that exists to keep the water open, and it doesn't, and you still chop every day, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work. And I look online, and they say, well, you've got to build a greenhouse around. Like, I'm not building a greenhouse. I'm not the first person to have this problem. You've got to be kidding me. No one's come up with a better solution than these dumb thermostat-floating water tank heaters that don't work or blow the fuse." So I go, I'm buying, the in, I'm buying the in-tank one. It's when you take the plug out, which you never do on a stock tank because you break the seal, and it never seals it. I don't care. I'm doing it. And put it in there and seal it up. Those things were open through negative 41 degree weather in the middle of a field with all the wind all day long. Why why do I bring that up? I didn't go to prayer. I never prayed about it. I I looked at Google. I talked to ranching friends who are like they just grin. You guys just smile at me when I talk about my ranching problems. All your ranchers are like, yep. Yep, I'll see you. like, that didn't help me at all. Your little smirk didn't... Well, I've got an answer. You put those in. Into... I never prayed about it. We don't pray about tank heaters. Yeah, you do. You pray about everything. Go find the solution. Go do your research. Go look for your kid for sure, but go to prayer first. Immediately go to prayer. What should I do with the rest of my life? Who should I marry? Should I quit this job? Start this job? Do this? Whatever. Pray, 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 pray first. If they had gone to the temple first and prayed, they'd have found their son the first day. I'm not saying they failed. They probably retraced their steps. They probably did what a normal person would do: go. Well, we were at the fig stand, and and then we went over to um, to, to Jerusalem Walmart, kind of you know, and then we went over here. Go to prayer first. Go to prayer. I couldn't think of a good blend of Jerusalem Walmart and It's probably God saying I didn't want you to. Three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Why does that matter? Jewish custom is the teacher sits and the students stand. So we're doing this wrong in here, is how it is. And the the, professor is the one that asks the questions. And the students respond. When Jesus is going to be on the cross here, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's like a teacher proclaiming the first verse of Psalm 22, which is a messianic prophecy and describes to the students exactly what's taking place. He's still teaching even on the cross. Jesus is in the temple sitting there in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. That's the point. You guys teach about the prophecy this. What do you think it means? I think it means this, that, and the other thing. It doesn't. It means this. He's asking the questions and giving the correct answer after they give the wrong one. Now, this is probably the beginning of the religious rulers not liking him for the most part. A 12-year-old sitting there and schooling the guys in the black robes while the onlookers are going, that's amazing. None of these guys knew that answer. And this little kid, he's a prodigy. They begin, the people begin to have an expectation of Jesus at this point. I know this, because this is not how they treat him later on. Something switches for the people. Right now it says they were amazed and they were stunned and they were startled at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And His mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Now, I'm glad he didn't pull a scripture out there, right? anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't do that. There's a time, right, to give off scripture, and he says, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? It's not a a rebuke, but your anxiety, mom and dad, isn't for me. It came from you not going to where you should have gone first. I'm about my father's business. Why didn't you come to my father's house? Now, they know that God is the father. I don't know that Joseph, I don't know that any stepdad ever forgets. They'll do their best, and they will treat the child like their own, and, and they love them like they're their own. But Joseph never, never misunderstood the mission. He always knew that he was there to care for and love this child. But it was always God the Father. Always, always, always. Verse 50 says But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. They're too upset. And we can be that way sometimes. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. He still submitted to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Again, holding on to these things that are happening. Developing the story, figuring out the path and the plan. And here's the key. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and man. Jesus increased as he grew older, as he gave gave wisdom and understanding into the things of God. He increased in wisdom. He knew more stature, which means he was elevated in the community. He was respected and revered as someone who's a great man of God, a great boy of God for now, but would be a great man of God. They expected great things. He's going to be a rabbi. He's going to be amazing Pharisee. He's going to be a religious ruler. We can see it. He knows more than everybody. There were these expectations being developed. It also says that he grew in favor with God and man. One always stayed in favor with Jesus or had favor with God, right? Jesus always in the Father, always. But it's man that switches, isn't it? God always knew what his son was going to do. God always had a plan for him. God was the one who was elevating him and all that. And man only switches their position from, yeah, he's a great man of God, to crucify him because he didn't meet their expectations of what they thought. We're the ones that are fickle. God's message was always clear. I have come to save the world, to be a light to the Gentiles. I haven't come to remove the Gentiles. I'm here to save them. Finally, the last two scriptures. First Samuel chapter 2, 26, The only other time that this phrase has been used in scripture. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Samuel. He began to put Jesus in that category. Later on, as Jesus grows older and people begin to realize he's here to confront sin in our lives. Psalm 22 verse 6. Prophecy of the Messiah, I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. Something changed. Something switched. This morning, we're here to celebrate. We've gone full circle with our God. We've lived after the world. We've lived after our flesh. We've sinned and we realize there's a dead end. And we feel the guilt and the shame and the separation from God. We've gone to Jesus now as our Savior, as our one who died on the cross for our sins, and we've accepted him and believed on him. We understand full circle now that not only was he crucified, but that he rose again from the dead. He completed his mission. He's brought us all the way back from the garden, all the way back into fellowship with God again. This morning he can do the same for you. If you're an unbeliever this morning, I, I hope you pray and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And let this be the first Christmas you've ever really celebrated. Because you're really celebrating your Messiah, your Savior. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Luke. We thank you for confirming your word from Genesis to this uh, chapter in Luke is thousands of years with Many, many different authors, and yet the theme and the continuity of the story is continuous and perfect, as if one mind wrote it, your mind. We you know that you have. It's true today. Lord, this morning, we're in Maryville, Missouri, of all places. We're on the other side of the world from where this took place. The gospel, the good news, has truly gone throughout the whole world, and here we're proof of it. Here we sit. We are a fulfillment of a prophecy. Prophecy and you're here to minister the same message to to us as you minister to them that Christ God was in Christ and that he reconciled the world to himself by dying on the cross and that if we just look to the cross you who became sin for us nailed high and lifted up we can be healed from our sin we can be forgiven this morning we receive that we receive that forgiveness we receive your mercy we receive that fellowship again with you that was broken by our sin. We can now call you our friend and call you our king. This morning we want to, in turn, as you gave your life for us, we want to give our lives for you We pray that you take them this morning. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to walk with you, to understand your word, to read it, to live for you as all these people who encounter you in the scriptures begin to live for you and walk for you. And every day they breathe you and they tell everybody they know. I pray that that'd be the case for all of us, that it wouldn't be a, a once a year event, 365 days a year were yours. We bless these folks as they go today. I pray, pray that you bless this season of celebration, this, this Christmas time, that they have a wonderful Christmas and that you'd be in the forefront of our minds throughout the rest of today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.